90.7 FM and streaming on the web at kboo.fm. Thank you for tuning in to KBOO Community Radio during this special programming campaign, All Thrills, No Frills, Volume 2. This February and March, you will hear different marathons and series, all brought to you by our talented programmers, including specials like Women's History Month. If you'd like to help KBOO reach our $17,000 goal by March 25th, go to kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to to the number 44321 right now. We thank you. And you're welcome. KBOO. Hello. Welcome to the Coalition of Black Trade Unions segment of Labor Radio, highlighting the works of the working class, by the working class, and for the working class, here on KBOO 90.7 FM, where the heart of the community comes alive seven days a week. Before we get started on our show today, we'd like to remind you that we are in an all thrills, no frills zone special programming campaign here on KBOO. KBOO is a nonprofit community-based radio station where the heart of the community comes alive seven days a week. We encourage you to go to kboo.fm forward slash G-I-V-E or text KBOO to 44321. Help keep special programming, a vibrant place to be. My name is Tina Turner-Morfitt. I am the president of the Oregon chapter of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. On behalf of my chapter, I humbly welcome you to join our month-long celebration of Black excellence. The nature of this statement is not to cast dismay or on other cultural contributions, but to highlight the rich texture that each culture brings forth. This month is our month. Our month-long theme has been, Rise Up, We See You. Tonight's session features a discussion about mental health matters in our community. Our intent is to cover several components of mental health during this conversation. We are honored tonight to have a conversation with Dr. Stacy Hardy Chandler, Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Social Worker Board based in Culpeper, Virginia. ASWB is a nonprofit association 
for social work regulatory bodies in the United States with membership spanning all 50 states, Canada, and all 10 Canadian provinces, the United States Territory of the Virgin Islands and Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands. ASWB's mission is to provide support to the social work regulatory community to advance safe, competent, and ethical practices in the social work field. Dr. Hardy Chandler received her master's degree in social welfare from UCLA, a doctorate in clinical psychology from the California School of Professional Psychology, and a Juris Doctor from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Dr. Hardy Chandler believes in the power of lifelong education and will complete a postgraduate diploma in organizational leadership this year from Oxford University. She has spent over 30 years providing mental health services to diverse client populations and has received numerous professional honors. We're happy to highlight her and our salute of Black excellence. Welcome, Dr. Hardy Chandler. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to go ahead and get started. And I guess my first question to you is, what is behavioral health exactly? Well, I think that's a wonderful question. And typically, I like to talk about behavioral health by first talking about physical health. We all know about our physical health uh, that was very prominent over the past couple of years as we all collectively went through a global pandemic. Um, but just like with our physical health, we try to make better choices to <laughs> prevent problems from happening. Um, we try to intervene early if we see some early signs or we're just not feeling well. Um, and we certainly try to seek treatment if things sort of escalate. Uh, but we know when we're feeling under the weather physically and how that affects how we are mentally. So there's a parallel between our physical health and our mental and emotional health, as you're referring to our behavioral health, same thing. In terms of prevention, we try to talk about uh, wellness, uh, self-care, even meditation, prayer, those kinds of things to help, you know, stave off stress and to keep ourselves in the right mental space to be effective and to do the things that we need to do. If there are early signs that we're just not feeling right, we try to hopefully get some sort of assistance or talk to a friend or something that's going to prevent whatever that is that's, that's worrying us or stressing us out to not escalate to something else. But of course, if it does, there are higher levels of treatment like therapy or even hospitalization. So I think that when we talk about behavioral health, we have to think of it as very parallel to our physical health and mm -hmm. interconnected. You know, the mm -hmm. body and the mind are connected, they're not distinct. So those parallels definitely exist. And I think in our society, we have to kind of release some of that stigma related to behavioral health because it's just as important, you know, as our physical health, which we're more likely to provide or get uh, help for. Okay. So it's just not for people with behavioral problems? Absolutely not. When we're talking about prevention, we all want to prevent problems, right? So uh -huh. we all in various ways and different degrees should be working on our behavioral health uh, daily in terms of, um, again, staving off stress, 
staying connected with other people and really making sure that we're in the kind of emotional space that helps us do the things that we need to do. Um, our going to school, going to work, all of those things, just as they're affected by our physical health, they're affected by our um, mental and behavioral health too. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or if there's a chapter or work uh, being done in this area in Oregon, mm -hmm. but one of my favorite examples about behavioral health is the uh, the Confess Project. Have you heard of that? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so it's a project involving mental health professionals who actually train barbers to be <laughs> sort of behavioral health, mental health oh outreach people for their clients. And I think that's important because one of the issues, especially in the Black community, is access to services. There's a wide variety of barriers sometimes to access. Uh, those services might not be in our neighborhoods or they might not be affordable, um, but programs like the Confess Project where barbers are um, acting as those gatekeepers for the community and they're being empowered with the knowledge and skills to be that first line of defense and helping specifically outreach to Black men uh, I think projects like that are fantastic. I have a family member who is also a social worker and he devotes part of his therapy practice to these kinds of talks in barbershops. And again, this notion of putting services where people are, as opposed to come to my office, come to my government building. I think that's um, off-putting for some people, but if we can bring those services to where people are naturally, to their churches, to their childcare centers, to their barbershops, I think that uh, helps making those preventative and early intervention services more accessible to everyone, really. Yeah, that that is just great. Wow, so you work for the Association of Social Work Boards. What does that organization do? So it's a little bit difficult to talk about ASWB without first talking about kind of social work. So come with me on a social worker's journey through their career, okay? So all social workers pretty much, you know, have some sort of life experience that inspires them to explore social work as a profession. So it may be something that they experienced in their family or they had a great social worker who helped them or some sort of experience, either positive or negative, kind of inspires them to look into it. And often people will um, enroll in a social work program because they feel it's a calling. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't typically choose social work as just a job. They feel like it's something that, well, I'll say, uh, I hear often something that I feel very deeply that it's aligned with my purpose in life, right? So. Then they get inspired to go into an educational program. So they may enroll in a bachelor's program if their school has it. Sometimes people go into social work at the master's level because maybe they didn't have a bachelor's program. Maybe they did psychology as an undergrad and they're doing social work as graduate, uh, as a graduate student. And they may even progress to a doctorate in social mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. um, but the point is, after they graduate, post-graduation, then every social worker is looking to enter the field. Mm -hmm. That's where ASWB comes in because we support boards like uh, the Board of Licensed Social Workers in Oregon and other boards throughout the US, Canada and the territories that you mentioned. We help them help candidates for licensure navigate that licensure process. 
So we're kind of removed from social workers directly. We help the boards that help social workers. And um, so there are various things that they need to do in order to become licensed. They need to show, of course, that they graduated from a social work program. They need to pass an examination. And in some cases, in terms of the clinical license, they need to have two years postgraduate uh, experience. But all of that is handled at the local government level. We're not a government entity, but we help those local boards in any way that they need help. And that might be everything from researching certain legislation or administration of the test or approval of uh, programs that provide continuing education. So that's where ASWB fits in. And then that one social worker who is going through their social work journey after they become licensed, then they're kind of connected to regulation throughout their licensed career um, because they will need to continue to be a lifelong learner learn the state of the art that's happening. Things change constantly when you're dealing with people. And so all of that continuing education piece, that's something that local boards uh, monitor and support. So that's what we do. Okay. So what exactly do social workers do? Great question. Short answer, everything. More specifically, I mean, I like to say that everywhere people are, social workers are or should be. Okay. And so social workers do an array of things. You can find school social workers who are addressing, as you can imagine, a student who comes on campus, whatever's happening at home, whatever's happening in their neighborhood, that doesn't stop the minute they step on campus, right? So a school social worker might be helping uh, children who are enrolled Uh, dealing with some of the things that might be happening in their family or in their neighborhood, the things that impact their academic performance. You have medical social workers who are helping patients deal with uh, the array of things that they might have to confront while they're dealing with an illness in the hospital and discharge planning, those kinds of things. You have forensic social workers who may be working uh, in correctional settings, working in detention centers, working on legal teams as mitigation specialists, uh, as mediators between parties who are disputing uh, a certain issue, um, just a wide variety of things. Plus, I think people typically think of services that social workers provide to clients, but social workers also serve communities. So you will have community activists who are social workers, people who are starting and running grassroots organizations as social workers, You may even have legislators who are social workers and people who are uh, lawmakers. So they are everywhere. I have a little short story to tell you. Um, Back when I was on faculty at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, there was a student who uh, proposed an internship where she was, uh, uh, she had a background of working in the casinos. Mm -hmm. So she proposed an internship in the casinos. Now, at first you might think, wait, what? You know, like why, you know? (laughs) But if you know casinos, they are very international. So you have a lot of people from all over the world working there. They also have issues like, you know, they can be places where human trafficking is happening and all kinds of things going on. So she carved out that internship. And after she graduated, the uh, casino offered her a casino social work position because she was so helpful and such an ambassador for the field. Now, I don't know if she's still doing it. That's years and years and years ago. 
Um, but, you know, I again, it just really illustrates wherever there are people, wherever there's a need, wherever there's the potential to help people reach their capacity, social workers, there's a role for social workers interpersonally or on uh, the macro level. Wow, that, that's, that's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Unusual, yeah, but exciting. Probably something for me to aspire to, casino social worker. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what's it like being the first Black CEO of an organization like ASWB? Um, well, being the first Black, if you stop there, if you stop there in that question, um, it's, uh, for better or worse, very familiar. Um, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of spaces where I've been the first Black senior manager or the first Black, you know, supervisor in this particular area or the only uh, Black person in a particular space. So it's not unfamiliar in that sense. And it's unfortunate. I mean, every time it happens, I'm kind of like, I, I still cannot believe in, you know, this day and time that I'm being referred to as the first black anything. Right, um, right, right. But it is the case. And uh, I think that it is familiar for me, but of course it's a, it's a new thing for the organization. It's a new thing for the regulatory community and that's okay. Um, I bring a certain sensibility to this role. I will say unashamed because of my blackness. Um, so part of my interview even for this role, I remember uh, sharing with the panel that I'm going to bring an Ubuntu philosophy to my leadership. Mm -hmm. And Ubuntu means I am only because you are. So that sense of interconnection, that sense of we're in this together, right. this sense of if you fail, then I'm failing too, so we better collaborate. Yeah. Uh, I, I bring that to this space by virtue of my background and my history and my values. Right. So I think there is something um, different that I offer the organization that might not have been there before. And that is just one of the small reasons why we should, you know, cast wide nets when we're hiring <laughs> and we should, you know, really create welcoming and inclusive environments um, when we have diverse candidates. If you've just joined our station, you're listening to Labor Radio, highlighting the works of the working class, by the working class, and for the working class, where the heart of the community comes alive seven days a week here on KBOO 90.7 FM. Tonight, our guest is Dr. Stacy Hardy Chandler. Dr. Chandler is the CEO of the Association of social work boards. So how can somebody who's currently in, in uh, who's, who's black and currently want to be a social worker, how can they get more involved? Mm, I think there are multiple ways to uh, get involved. Uh, I think there are lots of ways to get involved in every, every jurisdiction. Our members are the Splice and Social Work Board there in Oregon, maybe contacting the board for information. Okay. getting involved with maybe with your organization, uh, getting involved with uh, any of the grassroots organizations that are in any of our jurisdictions, just getting started, getting that exposure, and certainly uh, talking to other people who are wanting to do this work, mm -hmm. who are maybe even at the beginning of their career trajectory or towards the end, uh, having those conversations with people. But 
again, there's so much work to do that there's plenty of opportunities for engagement and, and involvement. Okay, all right. So how can we support members in the Black community who are currently social workers who want to become social workers? Who want to be, who want to become people who, people who are interested in the social work field? Yeah. So I think it's linking them. I see a lot of uh, resources being put in the chat. I think it's linking them to information. Okay. Uh, ASWB has a lot of information in all kinds of forms online, uh, including videos, including booklets, all, all kinds of other resources. The other major social work organizations and even some of the not so major social work organizations often have a lot of information on their websites. Sure. Um, so you can go to NASW, which is going to be leading the uh, social work month. Uh, they have a press kit. They usually have a lot of information from their workforce study about the field, about uh, salary, about uh, different types of social work jobs. So I think first, you know, starting with the major social work organizations and just getting information from them and doing some exploring. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Chahardi Chandler, I once again want to thank you so, so much for, um, for this, you know, for this discussion that we've had. I've learned so much. I mean, yeah. I'll never look at a temperature gauge differently. And <laughs> I, I will now. <laughs> Every time you get that thermometer, you're like, I'm That's not going right. to this thermometer. if I have a fever, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And again, uh, thank you so much for being part of our Black Excellence Program for Black History Month. My pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. There is a question in the chat if we have a couple of minutes to uh, ask a question. Tina, sure. do we have time for that? Well, why don't I read it? And it's in the chat and you can follow along. This is from Bob. I come from the other side of the mountains from Culpeper in central Appalachia. Our communities there are struggling with massive drug use, depopulation and poverty. There are many local black organizations in even the small towns fighting hard on their own, social workers are badly needed. But if our kids somehow make it through school and get into college, they leave Appalachia. Mm. And we have this history of outsiders coming in and doing us harm. Collaboration mm. there is problematic. Does your work extend over the mountains and do you think that our problems are unique? I don't think those problems are unique. I think if you change the location, uh, it mirrors some of the struggles that a lot of communities are having. Um, I think it may be helpful to, you know, you're talking about, for, there's multiple issues here, but one of the issues is um, access to resources. So I think that the there are a number of approaches. So from a workforce perspective, I think we need to support social workers, but I think we need to supplement the social work field also. So when I go to the dentist, I have to first see a dental hygienist, mm -hmm. right? I, you know, I don't say, okay, well, you know, we, you know, it, it may be a struggle to get more dentists, but we may have um, more opportunities to get that dental hygienist. I think it's the same thing for social services. I think we need to uh, provide more opportunities for people to contribute um, that may not require, let's say, the, a master's degree, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but just as that training program, the Confess Project, where there is training for those barbers to provide some just basic mental health services, I think programs that allow supplementing social work in a variety of creative ways may be something that uh, communities look at. How can the how can gas station attendants, you know, the clergy, how can uh, the salon uh, owner get some training so that they can at least identify maybe some red flags or help? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about making them, uh, you know, therapists, but we're talking about is these are people who are seeing things first. And can we equip them with some of the tools to at least steer some of their uh, community members who may trust them in a, in a, in a different direction. So that's one thing is just kind of the access to some of these human service, uh, uh, expanding the human service workforce. Uh, The part about leaving, I think that's a little bit uh, more challenging. And I wonder, I guess I have the question about whether or not, our ability to do things remotely might offer more access, even if people are not in that community. I mean, are there virtual ways that we can improve access, uh, even if uh, some of the people are not located in that community? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that has come up around the interstate compact um, work, which is basically uh, psychology has it, physical therapy has it, is the opportunity for someone who is licensed in another jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. If the new jurisdiction approves them, they don't have to go through a whole bunch of administrative rigmarole. They can be uh, uh, eligible for a license in that jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we're talking about there is just how people can work beyond certain boundaries. The concern is, of course, if you're having people come out from outside of the community who are doing harm, then it may be, though, the opportunity for those who have left the community to contribute to it, even if they're away, because they still may have those roots, those families, those communities there. So if I don't live in Appalachia, but I have roots there, then could I, using these virtual tools or uh, through an interstate compact, still provide services to my community, even though I may not be physically in that space? So I think we have to kind of think about services in a very new world and how we can configure that differently. I also know that some places uh, have instituted some incentive programs, meaning like, and this might be something more in the school realm, so it might be a little bit out of my area of expertise, but for child welfare, for example, very, very tough recruitment in child welfare. Mm-hmm. So uh, Title Four e basically provides tuition reimbursement, but for that tuition reimbursement, you give service to that field, right? So for, is there some way to set up a collaboration where there's some sort of tuition reimbursement for those who are coming, you know, or leaving your community and going to school to come back there for two years of service or something to that effect? So, you know, I don't, I certainly don't claim to have the answer, but I do know that there's some innovative thinking about how we expand access. Is it through telehealth? Is it through um, some sort of tuition reimbursement incentive? Mm-hmm. Is it through um, uh, helping the people who are still there serve as 
an expansion of the human service community. I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think that there are configurations that people are more open to now sure. than they ever were before. Not only for that community, but for a lot of communities that are experienced sort of a mass exodus or even have historically been very remote and very rural or in, you know, so-called frontier areas even. Um, how do we use these various new ways of thinking about helping uh, to their advantage as well? So I hope that helps, even if it's not a complete answer. Thank you. Well, again, thank you so, so much. Um, like I said, I feel better prepared to, <laughs> to face the world. <laughs> great, great. Well, you know, we have uh, a lot of information. We uh, get questions. We have multiple ways for people to ask questions. I would say definitely if they're, this, should, this conversation shouldn't stop now, right? This should be just the beginning. This is the appetizer. What happens after this is what really matters. So I think really talking with uh, the Oregon board, accessing, we have ways to ask questions online at ASWB, um, just multiple ways if questions come up later or if there's a need for more information, definitely there are ways to access that additional information to keep the conversation going. Okay, all right. Well, great. Well, again, thanks once again. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Announcements. We would like to, we'd like you to, to join us for a salute to women on International Women's Day on March 8th, 2023, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our program is called About Her. Our program features local artists and activists who make declarative statements on behalf of women via spoken word and song. Please join us for this powerful segment, upholding the value and contributions that women make. Thank you once again for joining us for Labor Radio. Before we end our show, we're gonna have one last appeal for you to become a member of the cable community, cable radio community. We're an independent community-based radio station with over 300 volunteers. If you've got a passion, we have it on KBOO. Text KBOO to 44321. Become a member today. And with that, I'll say holla. Everybody, this is Goddess and Goddess and She, and you're tuning in to KBOO Portland. Holla to girl. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system, addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. Baby.